Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's up, Z-Pack? It's Dr. Z. Welcome to the Z-Dog MD Show. I have a returning guest who was the subject of severe bromancing on my part for our first hour interview we did before and wanted to have him back. Dr. Judd Brewer is the Director of Research and Intervention research and intervention, you research and innovation, okay, I just had a small stroke, at the Brown Mindfulness Center. Um, he's a psychiatrist, a researcher, and like one of the world's experts in things like digital therapeutics around mindfulness, mindfulness in general, and on and on and on and on. But more importantly, he's a brother from another mother. We're gonna talk about anxiety and burnout in healthcare workers and beyond, because this is a new study that was released, a pilot study with uh, Dr. Brewer that we're gonna talk about today that has an impact directly on our experience, guys. So welcome, Judd, back to the show. What did I get wrong in that? <laughs> Nothing. Brother from another mother, I love that, that's great. <laughs> you know, and then there's apparently the, because you wanna be gender neutral, there's the sister from another mister, and the, what what's a, what's a sort of intersectionality? I mean, there's a million ways we could skin this, Judd. All of them end with us getting canceled on Twitter. So we'll just go direct to the discussion. So I when when I heard about Dr. Lorna Breen, who is this emergency physician who lost her life to suicide, I reached out to you and said, "Hey, do you want to talk about this a little bit more on the show?" And your response was, well, I think the root of this is really an issue of anxiety and moral injury and burnout, and we just published on this. I'd love to talk about my research. So hit me with what's going on in that space, because I, I've talked about burnout quite a bit on the show and how it may be the end stage of chronic moral injury, but there's a million causes for it, and I wanna get this out of the way first. We are not excusing the causes. We're not excusing the systematic issues in healthcare that have led to quote unquote burnout, but we're saying, here's something you might be able to do personally in the meantime to help yourself right. survive, yeah. Right, and I think that's a good way to look at it. There are institutional factors and there are individual factors. And you've probably talked about the institutional factors. One institutional factor that I think affects, boy, most if not all of us is this lack of autonomy, you know, where mm where a lot of clinical care moves more corporate or more large group uh, as compared to, you know, small private practice or whatnot. And I think that's one institutional factor that's actually affecting, that's bleeding into the individual factors. Uh, you know, who, who, who says, wow, boy, I wish I had less control, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think this loss of autonomy is something I've actually talked about with, uh, I did a show with an EHR vendor, Athena Health, mm -hmm. and they had their in-house expert on 
looking at data analytics and they actually looked at this and did a study and what they found with regards to their own users and burnout was la lack of autonomy, uh, lack of feeling they had the tools resources to actually do their job. And it's that perception of control, which I think in your paper, you even cited the Kaiser study that had originally reported that in the nineties. Right. Yeah. That's been around. It's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. So institutional factors aside, cause that's certainly not the lane, you know, not my lane. Um, other folks can drive in that lane much better than I can. Let's look at some of the individual factors. And there have been some folks really uh, writing about this beautifully, like Steve Southwick at Yale. Uh, one of my friends um, has actually, you know, he's written about a lot of these things around uh, where, where we're disconnected and things like that. What I'd even, so I think those are important individual factors, but also those bleed into institutional factors as well. I'd like to dive into one aspect of, of burnout that I had not actually realized, which was, there's a lot of anecdote around anxiety being correlated with burnout. But in fact, uh, to our knowledge, we hadn't actually found a study where people had, had linked the two directly in clinical trials. I know that sounds, that sounds, that sounds crazy. You, it I seems know. so obvious. It, yeah, I know. And it, maybe it, because it's so obvious, nobody actually bothered to do the studies <laughs> or I've missed, missed that study that was done, you know, at the beginning of time or whatever. Um, but I was blown away by that. So that was one of the first things. So let me back up and say, you know, a couple of the other things that we've been seeing is that, you know, physicians and, and clinicians, healthcare workers in particular, are uh, shock really busy. And so uh, one thing that I've been looking at is how can we pragmatically help people um, with, you know, can we, can we find out what these mechanisms are? Can we target those specific mechanisms? And how can we do this in a pragmatic way? That's not just like, oh, that's a great idea. Nobody's going to do it, <laughs> but okay, here's the mechanism. Here's something pragmatic. You know, let's all be, let's all be clinicians about this and, and figure out something. And I think this is so crucially important because when you pitch doctors or nurses or frontline healthcare professionals on, oh, here's some solutions for your burnout, they require uh, four hours a week of sitting in a mindfulness class or going on retreat or practicing in a way that's just oppressive in terms of their time. As it is, they feel like they don't have enough time and control and now you're taking another thing and adding it. So what did you do that was different in this sense? Yeah, so we built on the background. So there were uh, there's some great researchers, Mick Krasner, Ron Epstein at University of Rochester, who did, I think, the first groundbreaking study. This was a JAMA article from 2009, so over 10 years ago, where they found that mindfulness training was a way to really help physicians um, with burnout. And so that was really intriguing to me. Okay, you know, we can get at this. These were primary care physicians in general, reduced burnout significantly. Okay, wow, this is interesting. And one of the big barriers was, like you were talking about, they had to take these classes in person, um, you know, multiple hours a week, et cetera, et cetera. So one of these barriers to entry is, is time commitment. And I, so I, studying anxiety in particular, I wanted to see if, you know, we've been developing digital therapeutics. I wanted to see if this unwinding anxiety app that we had could actually reach physicians. And I, I, I like to work with the hardest populations to work with first, you know, because if, <laughs> if you can work with them, you can work with anybody. And I, I can speak from personal experience. I know I'm a pain in the ass, you know. <laughs> hey, so, ditto, man. We are, <laughs> the doctors are the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You know, they're like, oh, that's not for me. I don't have time. I'm busy saving lives. You know, you don't, this is why you don't see doctors go to the bathroom on television because they're too busy saving lives. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's true. It's a, it's a, it's a known fact. 
So here we wanted to see, you know, could we just get physicians to use an app-based mindfulness training just to see if, you know, do a feasibility study, see if they'd use it, see if they'd engage with it, see if it would reduce anxiety. And then we threw in some burnout measures uh, just to see what would happen. So uh, not true story. Uh, so we did this study at the UMass Memorial uh, Medical System. The CEO there, uh, Eric Dixon, really forward-thinking guy, took a single email from him, one email, to recruit all of the subjects that we needed for this study. That's crazy. So what, what did that email say? So he sent out an email and everybody got recruited. Yeah, basic. Well, it, what it says, long story short, is that there are so many anxious physicians out there <laughs> that, <laughs> that that it takes a single email to recruit all that you need. Um, I even had a guy come up to me and say, you know, I didn't qualify for your study. And I said, that's a good thing. You're not anxious enough. Right. So we used a couple of screening questions just so folks had to be in clinical practice. So this wasn't we, we didn't want administrative types as part of this. No offense to them, but we wanted to really see if this could affect. Practicing. Hold on. Hold No offense to them. All right. We don't need your type here. Okay. Remember that scene in Star Wars where they wouldn't serve the droids? Those droids are you. I'm just kidding, but I'm not really. All right. Back to you, Judd. (laughs) (laughs) So we wanted folks who are practicing and we also wanted folks um, who were just struggling a little bit with anxiety because, you know, it makes a lot of sense if you're if you're going to try it in an anxiety app, you know, and you're not anxious, you're going to be like, yeah, whatever. Um, I'd rather be playing Angry Birds or whatever. Hmm. That Talk about anxiety. Myself. Man, that big, that big fat bird just screws me every time. I, I, I wake <laughs> up at night actually perseverating about this. But that's another discussion between you and me as, as counselor and patient. Right, right. We'll take that <laughs> off the mic. So... so so our aim was just to see if these folks would use this program. We measured uh, baseline, we measured anxiety, we measured burnout. We tried to keep this very pragmatic, very you know low burden for the folks. And then we had folks just start using the app and then we measured them a month later and three months later uh, to see how they did. So what we gave them was this, this own running anxiety app where they would just learn, first learn about anxiety, about how anxiety habit loops form. That was something that was a big revelation to me. You know, I didn't learn in medical school or residency that anxiety could actually be perpetuated as a habit. Um, yes, true. Oh, so and this, when I read the paper, this really struck me because I was thinking about um, how incredibly habitual worry is for me. And the way you spelled it out, I thought was beautiful because it was in terms of sort of operant conditioning and this and that, where you have a trigger, which is this thought, the anxious, you know, sort of very negative valence thought or emotion. And then the behavior, which is, and I never thought of worry as a behavior because you don't think of thinking as a behavior. But I was like, oh, worry as a behavior. That's the conditioned behavior. Now, why is it desirable? Because it has a reward. And the reward is you either feel like you're a little bit in control or it distracts you a bit. But so you would think, well, then this is perfect. I have a bad emotion and the behavior is I worry about it and then I feel better. Right. So what's the downside? (laughs) Well, well, how how well do we uh, how well do we make out when we play the lottery? Um, So you can think of this. You know, if we're worrying all the time and we happen to come up with a solution, our brains, these crazy associative learning machines, you know, true, true and likely unrelated, right? We're worrying, we come up with a solution and we think, oh, I, because I worried, 
you know, I, yeah. I came up with the solution. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's basically mental, um, mental casino or mental, uh, jackpot or, um, slot machine playing basically. And, and let me ask a question. So the downside of this is repeated trigger behavior reward is going to lead to repetitive loop of behavior, which creates from worry, chronic anxiety. Did I, did I understand that correctly or what's, how does that work? Yeah. So one worry doesn't really fix things. And partly uh, why it doesn't do that is because it makes our thinking brain go offline when we're stressed or when we're worried, we can't actually think that well. So the other piece to that is worry doesn't feel very good. You know, I've never had a patient come to me and say, doc, man, I'm, I just don't worry enough. I, you know, I need to get that juice of worry going. Help me out. Is there a drug for that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got a few. <laughs> yeah. right. So there, you know, people, when they start to worry, it's kind of like they're moving toward this black hole of anxiety, right? And the more they worry, the more they get caught up in worry, their brain starts to realize, wait a minute, this isn't actually that rewarding. That feeling of control isn't that controlling because I don't actually have that much control. That distraction from the anxiety is not that distracting because the worry is feeling bad unto itself. And once we realize that, we go over the event horizon to this black hole of anxiety, worry, which feeds back to the anxiety, which feeds back on the worry. And then, and then we're a goner. And that, and that's what we talked about in our last uh, discussion is this event horizon where it's a loop and then it becomes just this suffering. Uh, and, and so, so just a quick story relating to this. So, and, and how, <clears throat> actually I'm going to save that story for when you talk about your interventions, because I experienced what you described in your paper just the other night, waking up at three in the morning with a, a negative emotion or, or concern that then led to worry but I was able to actually do something pretty remarkable for me, which we'll talk about maybe. Uh, just don't let me forget. Oh, after this commercial break. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I like to generate suspense so people stay through and watch the ads because, you know, cash money millionaires, Judge, you know how it is. Pimping ain't easy. <laughs> anyway, so back to uh, <laughs> back to this, uh, this, uh, this worry uh, anxiety loop. Yeah, so this had been described back in the 80s and promptly forgotten from what it seems because, you know, this guy T.D. Borkovec from Penn State had published a bunch on it a little bit more in the 90s and it kind of trickled out. So I didn't learn about this in residency, um, but I started, you know, I stumbled upon this, you know, when I was really actually with some of my uh, patients who were using our, we had this eating program. And, you know, same type of habit loops when we we're stressed, we eat to feel better. And they were saying, you know, that stress, that anxiety is leading me to eat. Can you make me, can you make an anxiety program? That's actually what got us interested in looking at anxiety. So when I was looking at the mechanisms, I found this literature and, and I was like, holy smokes, this is, uh, this is, is exactly what I thought. Holy smokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. People don't realize that scientists, that's, that's what's going on in their brain. Yeah. Gadzooks. <laughs> holy reinforcement learning batman you know? <laughs> yep yeah so i was i i realized wow we could so because this mechanism is set up in the same way that uh, these other mechanisms that we've been studying around smoking and eating um w you know we could actually target it the same way we were targeting those through mindfulness training 
And in fact, uh, we weren't the first to come up with that idea. You know, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, for example, has been shown to be really helpful for anxiety, mindfulness-based stress reduction as well. So there's a, there's a growing literature with those in-person treatments. And then this, this paper from you know, uh, Epstein and uh, Krasner from 2009, also showing mindfulness training helpful for burnout, I brought all these things together and said, okay, let's see if this anxiety app can help physicians, right? So we give them the app. The idea is, you know, it's 10 minutes a day, videos and the animations in the moment exercises. So for example, train them to map out these worry habit loops, um, start to see how unrewarding they are so they can, we can tap into this <laughs> reward system so they can find what I think of as the bigger, better offer. We might've talked about that before, we did, but yeah. basically find something that's more rewarding. So a, a clinical example here would be, you know, we look at our list for the day for a clinic and we're already 20 minutes behind and we could be going into the next um, exam room thinking, oh no, this is, you know, this is a, I know this patient, it's going to take me much more than the 7.4 minutes that I'm allotted. I'm really, you know, it's going to put me even farther behind. Then we walk in, that anxiety is contagious or that mm. worry or that frustration is contagious. And then our patients, you know, you know, blah, 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 it doesn't help. So we could do that as a habit and then we get, you know, we end the day and we're like, wow, why am I so, you know, totally emotionally exhausted while we've been burning the candle at both ends, both from, a, you know, worrying all the time and then also doing our job. So we could do that or we could step out of it and say, take a moment, just notice that habit loop, you know, take a couple of deep breaths, feel our feet, do some very short mindfulness practice as we're touching the doorknob, right? As we're about to go, go into the exam room. Um, so there we could go in, in a grounded way where we're able to keep our thinking brain online, be able to communicate and empathize with our patients as compared to, you know, being protective of our, of our emotions. Cause we're, you know, we're fragile and probably do a better job of, of helping our patient, you know, diagnosis, treatment, all that stuff. So that's mm. the idea is, you know, let's teach them some mindfulness training. Let's use an app to do this. Long story short, um, so we use the GAD7 as, a, as an outcome measure, you know, clinically validated. We all, I certainly use it in my clinic. This is built into the EMR. Nice and short questionnaire. It's validated. It's, um, it's been shown to correlate very nicely with, with the HAMA and, and other types of uh, measures. Folks were, had pretty high anxiety at baseline. You know, they were in the moderate to severe range. At, um, it, by the time it, they got to the three-month follow-up, uh, we had a 57% reduction in GAD7 oh, wow. scores. 57%. Wow. <clears throat> wow. So, yeah. Now, 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 I mean, that makes sense in the sense that, okay, the app is having some effect. We're addressing root anxiety, which you're theorizing is connected to burnout, even though it's never been studied. And you actually looked at it in the study using Maslow burnout inventory and that sort of thing. Now, the only question I would have is <clears throat> these guys were you know, in a way self-selected, they signed up for the thing, they, they were motivated and they had an intervention and there wasn't a control group where there was no intervention. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, so I'll talk about that in one second, but I also forgot to mention this correlation between anxiety and burnout. So yeah, we looked please, at that please. at baseline and we only used two uh, items from the Maslach burnout inventory, one looking at cynicism, one looking at emotional exhaustion. West and others had published on these showing that these are nice, you know, nice subset items to look at. So we found a strong correlation, really highly significant between both of those measures and anxiety. Uh, at, at that uh, 
follow-up, we also got a 50% reduction in cynicism and we got a 20% reduction in emotional exhaustion, which I think is important to highlight. Um, so that 50% reduction in cynicism, so you can think of individual and institutional factors, so cynicism is more an individual factor. You know, we can, you know, we can get caught up in cynical habit loops. You know, we look at our list and, and we think about, you know, how uh, the system doesn't allow us time to see our patients. <clears throat> then we start to get cynical. That's the mental behavior, just like worry is a mental behavior. And then, you know, we, you know, or whatever that, that reward is that we, you know, we rage against the machine or whatever, which it just burns us out. Right. Mm. So that piece, um, we saw really significant and, and, um, correlated reduction in cynicism. Interestingly, only a 20% reduction in emotional exhaustion. The, even though it was statistically significant, it makes a lot of sense because we're not changing institutional factors with an app. So here we might even be seeing some specificity here. That makes a, that, that actually makes sense because cynicism is something, again, it's a little more controllable in terms of uh, paying attention. Emotional mm -hmm. exhaustion is the sum result of all the insults, and a lot of that is institutional. You know, I, I, a quick side note on this, I get a lot of messages from fans, and a lot of them are very, very, very upset frontline caregivers who will rage in the most cynical possible way in the message. And it's paragraphs of just rage. Cyn this will never get better. I'm never going to be heard. My boss is an idiot. I'm totally disempowered. The patients are suffering. And you could see that a reframing or a, a paying attention to that might actually change that to, so that they feel more empowered, but it's tough because there is a component of emotional exhaustion imbuing their, their behavior there. So I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where mindfulness comes in. It can help us see, you know, we have people really explore, what do I get from, you know, raging against the machine? This isn't to say that we shouldn't advocate or, you know, do all it's actually really important to do these things, to, to do advocacy work. But if we are running full speed against a wall and we just keep hitting our head against the wall, that's a problem, you mm -hmm. know? So what mindfulness helps us do is to step back and see, what am I getting from this cynicism? Is it actually helping me change the system? One, it's really exhausting to spin that wheel of cynicism itself. It's, it, to me, it's just really, really emotionally draining. Hence, you know, some emotional exhaustion coming from that. Two, it doesn't actually direct us in, in a good direction. When we're really raging, we're, you know, that's why they call it blind rage. Mm. You know? mm. We're not seeing clearly. We're running, you know, we're banging our head against the wall. So if we can step back from that and see that, you know, what we're doing might not be helpful. Mm. We can actually redirect that energy so that we can do good advocacy work with our thinking brain back online and thinking. So here we can then say, okay, well, what would be the most skillful thing to do right now in terms of changing, helping to change the system as compared to, you know, running into the CEO's office and saying, you know, I demand change. They're going to be reactive and defensive. Anybody would be right. Oh, you know, somebody runs at you with something that seems like a sharp object, which, which could even just be, Hey, pointing out flaws in the system everybody, you know, everybody's going to be defensive there. So here we can step back and say, well, what's the most skillful way to actually help the whole system move forward? What's the best way to direct my energy uh, so that I can do good and effective advocacy work? Mm. That's the central premise of this is like how, 
how can we actually get results that will not only change our own personal framing of this, but also change systems? And I'm glad you bring those together. So, so far we've established anxiety and burnout are definitely at least in the study that you showed, connected, which is an intuition that most people have but needs to actually be measured. The second thing you saw is that these patients, these doctors <clears throat> who are the participants in the study had real outcomes that showed improvement at, at uh, one and three months. And then the question that we needed to get back to was, what about the self-selection bias and the lack of a, a control group and that sort of thing? Right. And I think that's a really important point. So I'm glad you bring that up. So this was our first you know, pilot study. We wanted to, just to see if there was a signal there before we went on to do randomized control trials. So we got NIH funding uh, from NIMH to do a randomized control trial. We didn't do this with physicians, but we did this with people with generalized anxiety disorder because we wanted to see if we could help a broader swath of, swath of the population. Uh, at, at baseline, that group, so we haven't published this one yet, it's just, um, we're just submitting it for publication, but that group um, showed very similar levels of baseline GAD7 score. So similar in, this, in the respect uh, to what our physicians were showing, uh, they showed many more comorbid disorders. So I think we had 84% of them had comorbid, some, you know, depression or something else or something else, which is actually very real world. I rarely see a patient come into my my office with you know with just clean anxiety disorder. There's there's usually something else going on. Um, and long story short, we got a 63% reduction in the active group in the treatment as usual group. We got a 15% reduction. And because there were uh, two arms, we could do a number needed to treat analysis. Yep. And so and what is it? Uh, for for the typical so typical antidepressant, which is gold standard treatment, 5.15. So you got to treat five just over five people to get. Uh, remission in one person with the unwinding anxiety app 1.6 <laughs> that's the most ridiculous number need to treat i've ever heard in my life 1.6 so you basically treat one and a half people and you get an effect with your app versus 5.6 with the with the drug and the app what's interesting about it is that it is only just 10 minutes a day it's at the point of anxiety so sometimes if you're like you said before you're going in a room it sends you reminders too right to kind of pay attention so it, it's an intervene it's an intervention that's low cognitive load low time but very high impact it sounds like yeah and the aim there is to you know to develop any habit you know that's what a lot of my research is around is how, how to have this form how we can, can we break bad ones and form you know good ones quote unquote the idea is to form a habit, you do something short moments many times throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So here we can give people short 30 second mindfulness practices throughout the day. We can do that intermittently. So they get intermittent reinforcement with that mm -hmm. and they can learn, oh, I can actually take a moment and just feel my feet. I can just take a moment and check in with my mind, check in with my spirit, check in with my body, you know, things like that, that are very simple, concrete, pragmatic and take. 30 seconds. So that's one of the ideas is to help people develop the good habit of being aware. The nice thing about this is, you know, physicians report, you know, that they feel better shock when you're less anxious, you feel better, but they're also reporting a greater connection with their patients because they can actually pay attention while mm. they're working with their patients as compared to being caught up in their own anxiety. That's one of the benefits that I love to see is these, you know, instead of side effects, um, side benefits, mm. <laughs> you know, of, of a bleed over effect of somebody, you know, benefiting from a treatment. That's, that's, that's lovely. And what's interesting is it got me thinking again now to 
bring it to my own tragic case. So, you know, we, we've done shows on how a lot of physicians, healthcare professionals, they tend to be a little higher intelligence on average. It depends. It depends. But physicians in general are very competitive. And if you probably IQ tested them all, they score a little higher. And with that higher intelligence comes a lot of anxiety, it seems. It, it seems to ride along with it. And um, so this is very common. And, 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 and because they're intelligent, they can rationalize their way out of any kind of intervention. Um, so I've been very resistant. You know, I've been anxious all my life. And, and it manifests in me, particularly at night. So back to this 3 a.m. awakening thing. So I was having it recently, and I'm, and you know, and we talked in our last show about meditative practice. So I, over the last seven years, I've gotten much more facile with meditative practice, mindfulness in particular. And uh, I noticed that, so I woke up at three, and I had the thought that today I have to do X, whatever it was, show or whatever I had to do. And I could feel then the typical conditioned response, which is let me worry about this and start to plan this out. And right then I had enough mindfulness juice that I was like, oh, look what's happening. This is interesting. Thought, uh, uh, behavior, which is this worry. Now I know how this story ends because I've watched it many times. The story ends with me worrying, uh, me then feeling like I've gotten a sense of control and then a new thought coming up and worrying about that and me staying up in a worry loop, unable to sleep, getting up at 3.30, having coffee and ruining my day because no sleep, anxious and nothing solved. So what if I just watch that? Look at that. Oh, I really want to worry about this, but I'm just going to watch that feeling of worry and something just amazing happened. It just dissolved. Like, hey, that was dumb. I don't want to do that. I know how this ends. And the next thing I know, I'm asleep, <laughs> which has never in the history of my worry loops ever happened. So this ish works. It really does work. So uh, let me see. How did the, um, the sports casters uh, do this for uh, soccer games? Go! <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, I I almost jumped out of bed and said that, Judd, but my, my wife would have not taken kindly to that. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's how it felt. I was so elated because when I fell asleep, I didn't have time to gloat because I was fell back asleep. But when I woke up, I remembered. I was like, oh, I have this thing to do today. Man, that should have kept me up. It did try to keep me up. <laughs> And I was able to recognize it. And that came from, it. that's not that's not magic. That was practice. And yeah. I think what you're doing with the app is very promising, even though that was a pilot trial. You have the bigger trial with other anxious folks. How do people get the app and try it out themselves, though? Uh, they can just go to my website, which is drjud.com, and they can find it there. The, I think there's a direct website, uh, unwindinganxiety.com. Um, so that they can go to as well and they can download it. Uh, there's more information. They can find the papers, et cetera. Uh, about is that. it, is it very expensive to use? I, I should know this. I think, I think it's around $30 a month and then it goes down from there. Um, but I'm not the one in charge of that. Stuff. Got it. Yeah. See the business guys are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say this, uh, $30 for the first month, if that's what it is, uh, if you have the benefits that actually you can find, it's like compared to just the cost of a copay on an SSRI or something like that, there's no comparison, right? 
Uh, yeah, if you look at it as a, you know, you if you have a copay for a clinical visit and then for a medication, you know, once a month, for example, it's probably about the same cost depending on somebody's health plan. I actually pay for Sam Harris's uh, meditation app as well. I pay for Headspace. I, I use a series of different apps and I find it to be the best money I've ever spent. And it's trivial compared to the cost of not doing, not having that resource. So it's, it's a huge thing. Um, man, now to just wrap this up and apply it to where we are in our COVID situation, just because people care about that more than anything. We talked last time about the worry loop, right? And COVID is a great example of how someone you know, a continent away on a news report can sneeze on your brain and infect you with worry. <laughs> and so these same techniques can apply to worry about anxiety about the COVID situation, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually put a short animation together uh, based on a New York Times article that I wrote on COVID anxiety. If somebody wants to kind of understand the mechanisms behind how that works and how we can actually bring mindfulness in, that's on my YouTube channel. I love it. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll link to all your different channels. Um, and dude, I want to thank you again. I'm hoping you'll come back again and we can talk about yet another aspect of this because each of these is like a three hour discussion, but we're going to try to distill it for the short attention spans. And, um, and I learn a lot from you every time you come on, man. And it, it I, I suspect that that bit of worry abortion that I had in the middle of the night was due to our conversation last time. So you can send me the bill. I will default on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate everything you're doing, Judd, and, and thanks again, and I hope you're staying safe out there. I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm all 100% telemedicine right now, so nice. all good. Nice. I love it. All right, brother. Um, cool. Well, ZPAC, uh, do me a favor. Please share this episode. Leave stories about your own um, ways of dealing with anxiety, your own approach to mindfulness if you do that practice and what it's done for you because you may just through your comments inspire others to get the help that that would definitely benefit them all right guys i love y'all and we out john brewer peace hey it's dr z thanks for getting through the whole episode that's a huge accomplishment <laughs> and so at this point i just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe it, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.